Welcome to the latest edition of Talking About Methods. Today I'm going to be talking to Roxana Willis about positionality and insider status in the research that she's undertaken. Roxana is a junior fellow and a Marie Curie fellow of the European Union at the University of Freiburg. She's also the principal investigator of the Cameroon Conflict Research Group. She holds an LLB in law with European studies, an LLM in international economic law and a DPhil in law. Roxana, welcome to the studio this morning and thanks so much for taking part in the podcast. I wonder if I could just start by asking you to tell our audience a little bit more about the sort of socio-legal criminological research that you do. Yeah, thank you very much for the invitation to join the podcast series, which is a fantastic series. Um, So my research, broadly speaking, I look at conflict particularly at the intersection of class and race. And I've researched in two areas. One is the UK, and this is working with my home community, which is a former steelworks town in England. And the other area I work is quite different, and this is in Cameroon and West Africa. And here I look at land conflicts and other criminal law issues. And in recent years, I've been looking at the conflict in Cameroon, which started in 2016. It's one of the most overlooked conflicts in the world and involves the minority Anglophone population experiencing violent suppression from the majority Francophone state. Um, So to research conflict, I adopt a legal anthropological approach. For my work in the UK, I've incorporated ethnography at home. And in Cameroon, I'm supporting local researchers to develop different ethnographic and anthropological techniques to research the conflict. That's so interesting by way of context, Roxana. I wonder if I could ask you about questions around subjectivity and objectivity, because one of the problems of being an insider is that possibly you wouldn't notice things that might be unusual to me, but were the norm for you, things that you were used to. So I wonder if you could tell our audience a little bit more about on a day to day basis, how you dealt with that dilemma. Thanks for that question. So to begin with doing insider research, it wasn't something that was intentional. It kind of happened by chance in some respects. And so originally I was looking at land law in Cameroon for my PhD, but for various reasons, this wasn't feasible. And like many PhD students, I came to a fork in the road and I I just went home and started discussing with my dad alternatives. And there's a restorative justice program that was happening in my hometown Corby that my father told me about. And this sounded interesting. So we were talking about it from the perspective of in my hometown and on my estate, sometimes there's family feuds or conflicts between different people which escalate into sometimes quite spectacular forms of violence. And we wondered if this new restorative justice programme could offer an interesting way to resolve and nip these conflicts in the bud before they escalate into very violent forms. So I was very keen to learn more about restorative justice and found supervision support from Carolyn Hoyle and Alpa Palmer and changed my research focus. So my new PhD topic I was researching as a main, what I thought anyway was the main area of research was focused on restorative justice and how members from my community interacted with the criminal justice system through these local restorative justice measures. And as at the time of my PhD was a small part of the research, I started to conduct ethnography on my estate. And this involved, it was very informal and started developing um, more. I was spending time with my dad on the estate. So he's a mobile grocer. 
he was driving a van around the estates, like the old Scottish vans. And so I joined my dad on the van. At various stops, the community members would come out and hang around on squares and we'd have conversations and you'd hear what was going on in the neighbourhood and various conversations and meetings in the community and online interactions as well on Facebook and so on. And so something that wasn't, I didn't set out necessarily to be researching started to become more and more interesting because I was seeing this disjuncture between what I was reading about in the conflict and restorative justice literature and what I was seeing on the estate. For example, in restorative justice, there's this idea that the, the state and lawyers have stolen conflict and now communities in liberal democratic societies, they no longer have any conflict. It's all been taken. And this didn't match the experience on the estate, which there's actually lots of conflict and it's very lively and there's lots of things going on and local ways to resolve these disputes. And a lot happens before restorative justice and before the police get involved. So in the course of my work, I realised particularly at the end of the PhD, there was a lot of richness in the ethnographic aspect of the project. And actually, I started to see this disjuncture between theory and practice. It runs much deeper than just restorative justice, and it affects criminal justice more broadly. And so this became the focus of the manuscript that I've just um, now finished. So it was by chance I kind of came across um, insider research as a method and it became so prominent um, within the work. I think it's vital to understand my home community, which is among the most socio-economically disadvantaged in the UK, to understand people on their own terms. And a lot of mainstream criminal law scholarship has failed to do this to date. So my work now, it builds on critical criminal law scholarships, such as the work of Nikki Lacey. Lindsay Farmer, Ali Lognan, Alan Norrie and so on. Also building on Inza Koch's approach of developing an emic view. That's a bit about the um, insider method within my research. I think adopting like ethnographic research methods, it's far more challenging, I would say, um, compared with the observational and interview research that I was conducting. I was almost doing two different kinds of research. So the more formal research and even ethnographic observation within criminal justice institutions, it was far more formal and there were boundaries. Um, and one of the challenges of doing ethnography on the estate was these boundaries became very blurred. It was um, the researcher and personal life, it, it, it much more merged. It was difficult to separate the work um, and personal life. So one of the things that was challenging, this was my first time conducting empirical work and particularly ethnographic work. And so it was a lot of learning while doing and making mistakes and getting used to um, the kind of the role of researcher and, and, and how to do that. I think the boundaries becoming blurred between work and family and researcher, that became really hard when my dad became ill during the research period. Um, so he worked as a steel worker um, and they found a shadow on his lung. Um, and so he was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer as I was doing the research. And it became very difficult to almost be at home doing research and going through this um, awful life-changing event that was all-consuming. And it did alter how the work developed. It changed. Um, it became more of the focus. It's the only, like being at home, it, it became emotional. It, it was um, the grief. Um, it altered the focus of the work. Um, but in some sense, it was also more authentic because the work, um, I'd gone home because of my dad and I was always doing the research almost with with my dad as a gatekeeper and I was always on the estate with my dad. So it, in some sense, it was it gave me the means or a way to 
keep doing the work that was more authentic to the experience of what was actually happening. I think another challenge is as an insider research at least I felt I feel this like greater weight or responsibility to give the fairest account and I know that we all do that with research but perhaps it's easier to say well this is my work and I've done enough now and I switch off whereas I I didn't have that kind of means to switch off it feels really important to make sure people are kind of my community is understood and so I I couldn't really see this as um, this is a stage in career progression so I finish it and move on to the next project it's a project that's been going on for like 10 years there's something deeper in what I want to achieve with it in some ways it's it's like more important it's beyond the output it's this need for feeling of, of people to be understood in a fair way that they'll feel okay with as well. It's, it's challenging. And in particular, developing thick description, this takes a lot of time. So I went into a lot of the history, philosophy, um, sociology, criminology, and other areas, trying to develop the best account. It's taken a lot more time. Perhaps if it wasn't my home community, I would have been quite happy with one or two layers of thick account, but I felt like it was never enough. I needed to really get to the, the heart of what was happening. Can you tell us a little bit more about what insights your insider status added to the project that would not have been possible if you'd used other methods? There is a difference between insider and outsider research. In some ways, I think the more important thing is is what added to the work was the method of anthropology, legal anthropology, rather than being an insider researcher per se. I think the method of anthropology in developing the thick description and and trying to develop an emic account and understanding a community on their own terms, I think this was the most important thing as compared to, say, um, traditional legal scholarship or other forms of, of research where it was maybe a surface level explanation of what's happening. And I've thought about this a lot. I think it comes up in debates, you know, who is the person that ought to tell their own experiences? Should it, does it need to be someone within a community or can we have authentic accounts written by outsider researchers? And I think there's been incredible accounts um, by outside researchers, um, particularly on class inequality in the UK. Um, so, so many influential accounts I've built on in Zakoch's work is incredible. Catherine Smith, Catherine Tyler, Janet Edwards, and, and so many more. I think these anthropologies on class really show us that actually as an ethnographer, as anthropologists, to develop a fair and internal account that's the best account that makes sense, I don't know that it necessarily needs to be an insider researcher doing that. It's the researcher giving time um, to a community. I think working, particularly we see this in, in all of the aforementioned work, um, in ethics of compassion, love, sacrifice, and the amount of time that these anthropologists are putting into producing you know, one, one text that really um, focuses for so long on one community. I think that's a beautiful thing that insider and outsider researchers can offer. In terms of what may have been different being an insider, I guess there's the emotions and I can perhaps experience this differently with uh, managing the Cameroon conflict, which is a f- extremely emotional seeing what's going on and managing the emotions of bereavement and loss within my home community as an insider researcher. I think we experience the emotions different when they're firsthand and when you're part of the grief and the kind of all the, the difficult emotions that come with that. The idea of loss was actually really important in what I ended up writing, which is so much part of of living the life. And I, I've recommended for one of the readings, which we'll come back to, looks at the role of grief in research and how this can alter how we understand um, what a community is experiencing. 
so I think in inside research and, and in some sense um, in the article I recommend if an anthropologist is able to build on personal experiences and bring them to another community they start to blur the lines between insider outsider research which is a whole other topic as well these lines aren't clear cut and in some ways I was insider and in other ways I was outsider um, so I, I would say in answer to the question I think the most important thing or the the method I couldn't have done without was anthropology. And I think we need more anthropology and law. And that's where we'd really start to make developments rather than the insider um, position being so important. Did you encounter any problems in the field? Absolutely. I think there were lots of problems in the field and we could probably talk for another hour or so just about the different problems. Um, I'll focus on the insider outsider ones that came up. So I spoke about insider-outsider um, status. It's always very blurred. And in some respects, I'm an insider. And in other respects, I'm quite an outsider. Having to leave my community to go to university. I then lived in Africa for two years, going to Oxford, going back to the community. I was very changed and the relationships had changed. And um, in many sense, I was an outsider. And this picks up on issues such as being able to identify things that someone who was inside and never left the community I could start to see differences in kind of behaviours or things that came up, say, within Oxford, where I was based, and within Corby. And so there were aspects of my identity that were outsider. And this does create problems, you know, it was a constant, it was difficult. It was, it's emotionally hard as a process to... Stuart Hall writes this wonderful, in his biography, he, he talks about leaving home and the kind of sense of loss and feeling like there was this other life you could have had. I think in some sense, there's this feeling of loss, like not being fully part of the community anymore or friendships in that way, because you have changed. But then it's also having a privilege, I guess, of, of getting out in some respects, recognising power imbalances in certain relationships that you can't ignore once you kind of become aware and learn about them. So it was challenging kind of grappling with these kind of the person who I was, I guess, and who I was as a researcher going back and yeah, there's complexities. The injuries of class, I guess, is the beautiful phrase that gets used. Andrew Sayer's work's really important on this as well. And there's lots of wonderful feminist writing. But anyway, So the insider-outsider status, that was an issue. Relatedly, it was really hard going from Oxford to home to Corby. So for the research, I was one year back home. And then for several years, I was driving home every two weeks, every fortnight I was going home. And they were really different worlds. So an Oxford SCR and my estate in Corby, it was very difficult to, we could use the term code switching. It was very much two different worlds and I had to adapt and be almost different people within these worlds. I was talking to a close friend back home about austerity and he said to me, what does that mean? I was trying to explain what austerity was, you know, like cuts on benefits, fines, zero hour contracts, this rising cost of living, working poverty and so on. He was like, ah, you mean life? And I was like, shit, <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> there you go. And I did code switch enough into the podcast there. But it, it really hit me because here I am, like you know, using these policy terms and uh, these abstract ideas and talking about what is life to my dear friend and, and would have been life for me as well and then I was in Oxford and I was telling a friend in Oxford about this experience and how difficult that had been 
And we were in an SCR and a very old SCR in Oxford and all the carvings and all the, the portraits and so on. And I was telling my friend the anecdote and there were two older fellows in the SCR. One of them uncomfortably coughed you know, because they could hear what I was saying. He said, hmm, not seen many hedgehogs around this year, have you? And it was this reminder that I was talking about inappropriate things. I was bringing the real world into this SCR. You know, I was lowering the tone. I wasn't playing the game of Oxford right there because that's, you know, we should have Membe has this wonderful term willful ignorance and I wasn't playing right I wasn't doing the right thing there by bringing this dirty issue of the streets into into it was really hard I felt at different times you know I have friends struggling with food poverty and just so much difficulty going on do I keep the house or do I eat and then here all of a sudden I'm in Oxford and it's this lavish banquets and just excess and feeling morally compromised and you're not supposed to talk about these issues that's not how you're supposed to act in Oxford that's not how you're supposed to be but then it's not right not to so what do you do so that was really hard and then I guess a final issue with the particular method um, and insider outsider conflicts so race came up a lot so there were lots of racial tensions Corby has the highest or did have the highest rates of Polish migration at one point following the EU accession And so there were a lot of tensions by the time I did my research between some of the longer term residents and those who were seen as foreigners, the newer people who had come to the town using the local language that was used. So Corby used to be known as Little Scotland and there was feelings that now it's Little Poland and everyone's talking Polish and There were some conversations which I found difficult because they were happening when I was there and there was this discomfort because I'm uh, myself being mixed race in a majority white place. I felt like it was about me as well. Even though there were conversations about Polish migrants, I felt this real discomfort, which my friends who were there and uh, my research participants and people I were talking to, they didn't see that at all. There was no kind of understanding why would I think it affected me or why, you know, it had nothing to do with me and they weren't treating me as the racialized outsider but it was this internal thing that was going on and so that was difficult and I almost felt like I wanted to brush over the conversations and not write them down because I guess all the this kind of feeling of being insider outsider I think as a racial minority in a majority white area you always kind of feel like an outsider but you hide it you're supposed to not cling on to those moments or recognize those moments so if I was to write them down and write about it in my book then I'm being almost like a a traitor to the community because to be an insider I shouldn't identify my race or I shouldn't mark myself as different because of my race so there were these tensions going on I think in a way it was difficult as an issue and how to write about it but it helped me think a lot more about what is our community and it's not a white community it's very uh, heterogeneous So we obviously have the Scottish migration was huge. We have English people in Gorby, there's Irish migration. After the Second World War, there was Latvian, Polish, Estonian. There's Commonwealth migration. People of Roman traveller and gypsy heritage are also um, part of the Corby community. Some settled in houses and estates such as mine and my neighbours and other communities are kind of in different areas. It's almost like we all don't belong in some ways. There's no clear sense of who is the kind of the insider there. And it got me thinking of lots of interesting questions and identifying because there are different degrees of belonging. And I was building a lot on Janet Edwards' work, Catherine Smith, Catherine Tyler, Inza Koch, again, the same authors. 
this idea of well, what is it to belong and it's more about time in the community and contributions and, and your role in the community rather than this simple idea of race and so the racial tensions you can actually understand it had more to do with newness and different norms or not understanding local norms rather than race per se so it's almost through the discomfort that you kind of get to these realizations because it's not fair to say my community is racist I won't how do I explain this then how do I give the best account so I'd say the challenges that you go through are almost some of the most important moments in the research because they're the ones that you really have to think and understand and develop a fair account of what's going on. What advice would you give to a younger self about using the methods you've been talking about? I think talking to my younger self, I'd advise that your academic education will also be part of your moral education. So almost not seeing the two as separate. When we engage in reflexivity and positionality, it alters us as researchers, but it also alters us in all other roles that we go into as a friend, as a partner, as a a daughter, a sister, and so on. As a teacher in various ways, starting to understand power differences and how we might have power over others and how to manage that. Making mistakes is part of the research journey, so ethics being a continuous process. I think as a younger researcher, we should be hard on ourselves and we should question the ethics of what we're doing. And, you know, it's part of the process of doing ethical research is we might make mistakes, but how do we respond to those mistakes? It's easier almost on paper to be an ethical researcher. And then it feels horrible when you do things that you wish you hadn't. You know, I wish I'd said something differently or uh, how did that get interpreted? Or I wish I hadn't done that. And the gold standard that I'd like to implement is kind of more tricky than that. But that's also real life. And that's how things are in real life. And I think the fact that we feel bad about making mistakes and things, that's part of the reflexive process. And it's actually a really important part of the research. So I'd want to advise my younger self that that's part of it and it's part of the process that we go through and just to be kind to yourself. You've recommended three texts for people interested in insider status to read. Would you mind walking us through your choices? Thank you. So I've recommended Ellis's article. So she's conducted various autoethnographies. And in this article, she discusses the challenges with the method and she draws on some examples. In this work, issues are addressed such as what are our relationships with others in the field? How do participants feel and respond to being researched? And how do we write about loved ones in the field, particularly she talks about in moments of death, how issues are raised of ethics of consent, trust, what should we reveal and what shouldn't we reveal out of loyalty to the people we're writing about, whilst also giving the best account that we can and being truthful to the research. I thought this article would be helpful in the final part. Ellis offers advice for student researchers grappling with these issues. So it addresses some of the themes we've looked at today, and I thought it might be a useful article for students who are thinking about going into this type of work. The second piece, Grief and a Headhunter's Rage. So Rosaldo, he's an anthropologist and he describes his struggle trying to understand why an older, ill-got man in northern uh, Luzon in the Philippines engages in the practice of headhunting. And he talks about in a moment of grief, the ill-got man, he kills another, which is described by the research participants in terms of anger. And Rosaldo, he struggles with this. He struggles to understand how can this be an explanation? It must be flippant. It can't really mean that. Until he later in life experiences loss and grief, first his brother and then his wife. And he shows how personal experience of anger associated with loss, it enabled him to comprehend the headhunter's practice in a way he just hadn't before. 
So I think this piece, it shows the importance of emotion in research and for making full sense of the social world. It challenges the antagonism between passion and reason and shows how emotions can help us comprehend the social world as well as providing us with a means to critique it. So I chose this piece because it raises interesting questions about the role of the insider researcher, what they can bring to research activity, and it bears on issues of objectivity, neutrality, and so on. The final article, I think I was supposed to recommend one of my own, which is why I did. I wasn't being cheeky. So this is an article I wrote. It looks at online research, and that was the main issue, but it addresses some of the um, what it is to be an insider research and how that might open up channels of you accessing information that you might not otherwise have accessed. So I talk about some of the difficulties I faced, and this was one of a big ethical challenge I spent years kind of thinking about. I thought this would help because we do within ethnography now, a lot of stuff is online through social media and so on it creates these um, difficult boundaries of the public private what we can use and can't use and so on and I think it was one of the most difficult kind of issues I I was grappling with among the many others we've talked about today Um, so that's some further reading for anyone interested please visit frontiers.csls.ox.ac.uk to find a list of the publications that have been referred to in this podcast and a reference to a piece of work from our expert that you might also want to read. You can also find other podcasts and reading lists on that page. We hope that you've enjoyed this interview and that you'll listen to the other podcasts in our series. This is an ongoing project, so if you have an idea for a new podcast, just get in touch. Thank you.